Now you talk about terror. Welcome to another podcast from the Chris Hedges Report. What about me? I'm Chris Hedges, and you can find more of my work at chrishedges.substack.com. Shireen Abu Akla, the Al Jazeera reporter with more than two decades of experience covering armed conflicts, knew the protocol. She and other reporters remained in the open, clearly visible, to Israeli snipers about 650 feet away. Her flak jacket was emblazoned with a word press. There were two initial rounds of shooting that were fired at the journalists. In the first, producer Ali al-Samudi was shot. As the journalist turned to run away from the gunfire, Shireen was shot below her helmet during the second round, according to the human rights organization Al-Haq. There were a few seconds when the Israeli sniper clearly saw profiled in his scope Abu Akla, one of the most recognizable faces in the Middle East. The accuracy of the M-16, especially the M-16A-4s equipped with the advanced combat optical gun sight, a prismatic telescopic sight, is very high. In the fighting in Fallujah, for example, so many dead insurgents were found with head wounds that observers at first thought they had been executed. The bullet that killed Abu Akla was deftly placed between the very slim opening separating her helmet and the collar of her flak jacket. I've been in combat, including in clashes between Israeli and Palestinian forces. Snipers are dreaded on a battlefield because each kill is calculated. The execution of Abu Akla was not an accident. She was singled out for elimination. Whether this killing was ordered by commanding officers or whether it was the whim of an Israeli sniper, I cannot answer. Israelis shoot so many Palestinians with impunity. My guess is the sniper knew he or she could kill Abu Akla and never face any consequences. The shooting, Al Jazeera said in a statement, was, quote, a blatant murder violating international laws and norms. Abu Akla, the network added, was, quote, assassinated in cold blood. Abu Akla was 51 and a Palestinian-American was a familiar and trusted presence on television screens throughout the region, revered for her courage and integrity and beloved for her careful and sensitive reporting on the intricacies of daily life under occupation. Her reporting from the occupied territories routinely punctured Israeli narratives and exposed Israeli abuses and crimes making her the bete noire of the Israeli government. It is very hard to believe she was not a deliberate target. Joining me to discuss the murder of Abu Akla and the refusal by the Biden administration to hold Israel accountable for the killing is Kavitha Shakuru, a senior producer for the Al Jazeera show Fault Lines that produced the investigative report titled The Killing of Shireen Abu Akla. So, Kavitha, this is a wonderful report. It's on YouTube. Everyone should watch it. You did a tremendous job piecing together the narrative of what happened. I want you to begin at the beginning. Uh, And, of course, one of the reasons that we were able to determine what happened is because it was video. We had video footage of it uh, from phones and everything else uh, and cameras uh, that uh, we don't have for most Palestinians. So, Open up the, that, uh, and, and then as you go forward, I wondered if you could lay out the Israeli response and that it's typical of Israel in terms of uh, first attempting to blame 
the victim and how that shift. But but talk about the initial report coming in that he she was shot, what you knew, and then what happened, and then we'll get into your investigation. Sure. I mean, I guess I'll just, that day, so May 11th, um, the crew was in Janine, which is a city in the northern West Bank. And in the you know, weeks preceding that, there had been a series of increasingly military raids, Israeli military raids. And so Shireen and her colleagues, as well as other journalists, um, had been covering them. And that day was no exception. And, you know, Shireen, everyone there, they are, these are experienced journalists. They know how to cover conflict. They know how to cover this conflict in particular. And so when they got news of the raid, um, Ali Al-Samudi, um, a producer and journalist based in Jenin, who worked with Shireen for two decades, um, he called her and told her what was going on, that the raid had begun. And so she and the crew, Al Jazeera crew, left their hotel. Um, they met up with Ali as well as other journalists that were there already. And they waited as they were and got ready. They had their helmets on, their press jacket, and... Um, they waited to make sure it was safe. They were they were away from the fighting itself. Um, when they initially kind of looked at the scene, they were a few blocks away from where they could see an Israeli convoy. And you know, it would you know other footage that's come up from civilians on the ground, um, and actually even from the Israeli military themselves. They put out body camera footage that would later on, um, and I'll talk about that. It's kind of part of their response as well, but. You know, I mentioned the footage because it you can it kind of shows you where they were, which will become important as well in the response, the Israeli military response. But and what they saw was a convoy of about five Israeli military vehicles, um, a few blocks blocks from them, or and it was um, 650 feet or 200 meters. And so they waited. There were no shots. Seems like it was calm. And so as the journalists were talked to, you know, the survivors of the incident told us when they deemed it to be safe. They started walking very slowly. They all had their press jackets again, safe press. So, and and I will say that when we went to Janine and to the spot where this happened, you know, we went to where the convoy was. And the con- if you look from the spot from where the convoy was down the road to where the journalists were, you don't need it. You don't, you wouldn't even need a telescopic rifle, right? To see, to have seen the, this was a very short distance. It would have been na- it was visible to us with our naked eye, you know, people at that distance. So with a telescope, if you're looking through a telescope, it's going to be even closer, more even more obvious what they're looking at, what you're looking at. And so they start to walk and all of a sudden shots start firing and they turn. Ollie's hit um, the Al Jazeera cameraman um, started immediately started to record. He was a bit of a distance away from the others. And that that footage in particular became very crucial because it, one, it gave us the number of shots um, fired, but it also gave us, you know, really, I mean, it's horrible footage because it's Shireen on the ground, you know, and it, you see the kind of the way that the shots continued even after that, particularly as her colleagues and civilians tried to help her. Every I just want to interrupt because in the film, every time somebody approached her and she's prone face down on the ground, they're fired at. Exactly, exactly. And so it's, you know, it becomes a bit hard to think that this was just, you know, 
being caught in crossfire when all of a sudden, anytime someone tries to help her, they're targeted again. Um, eventually, they were able to get her body away and they went to the hospital and you know, she was she was pronounced dead. Um, and so I guess, you know, going on to the Israeli military response very quickly that day, you know, you know, I think one of the things to, I, I should point out is that if you're, you know, viewers and listeners aren't aware, Sharina Boakli was a household name in the Middle East. Um, she was very well known. She had been covering Palestine for Al Jazeera since 1997. Um, and so this was, you know, shockwaves, right? For, for to hear that this person had been killed. And, the, you know, there was a very quick response from the military. They said, well, there's fighting going on. It could have been Palestinian fighters that, um, that killed her. Um, and they, they quickly released a video, actually. And they, they released two videos. One was a video that they had taken from fighters themselves that they had released um, at a location in Janine saying that they had, like, where they had been shooting from, saying that this is, you know, this could be where these, you know, the fighter, the killers were. And then they released a video themselves, body camera footage, which showed their own location and the kind of configuration of the convoy. Um, and so, you know, this was, this was within just a few hours of the shooting itself. And so one of the kind of, again, it's always the footage, like from all parties involved becomes so important when you're trying to dissect everything that's happening. And so that footage that they had taken from Palestinian fighters saying, this is the location of the fighters. Betzalem, which is an Israeli human rights group, they very quickly sent one of their researchers to that exact site and showed that it was not possible for like for those fighters in that location or any of the Palestinian fighters that day who had been right kind of more inside Janine and not they weren't there was no clean shot right essentially it was very windy it would have it would have had to have been a magic bullet for it to have been Palestinian fighters is what I'm saying um, and so it kind of you know you see this a lot with um, when the Israeli military is accused of killing civilians. Um, of killing Palestinians, um, they'll kind of cast doubt, which is, it's, you know, this is a kind of pretty tried and true, tr it's tried and true strategy. Cast doubt, you know, let the doubt spread, and then kind of it filters into the press either. So, um, yeah, and it was, but it was kind of impossible to do that in this case, because particularly because of the video footage that was available from the Al Jazeera camera person, as well as the civilian, another civilian who had been filming on his cell phone right before the shooting started. So the the Israeli narrative mutates. That's also not uncommon. Um, talk a bit about its mutation. How, as facts come out, the Israelis respond. Yeah, I mean, so the the first response was to say that it was it might have been Palestinians. And then it's kind of a little bit of a step back. I was like, well, maybe it was, but maybe not. We don't know. Um, and then it's, all right, well, we need to see, because it could have been us, but we don't know yet. And so there's kind of, it just, there's the, then there's the kind of waiting game, essentially. Um, you know, and in the, as that waiting game starts to, you know, goes on, in the meantime, various investigations come out from, respected news outlets from the EP to CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, as well as human rights groups, Betzalem, um, the United Nations um, did their own investigation, all of them saying 
it was likely that it came from Israeli, but it was the Israeli military that shot her. Um, and so finally, months, it was in September that the Israelis, Israeli military filed, put out their final conclusion because they said that they were conducting an investigation and that their investigation said that they may have, they that yes, they may have shot her, but that it's because she got caught in crossfire. And again, the problem is that that completely is disregarded, you know, that's disputed by witness testimony. And again, that video footage that is available. Um, and, you know, but there haven't been any consequences. So, yeah. But let, let's, said, talk, let's talk about the U.S. response. So, the, Shireen was a U.S. citizen. Uh, and uh, it's very telling of the kind of collusion between Israel and Washington, the Biden administration. Uh, uh, so talk about the, the U.S. response, U.S. promises an investigation. I mean, go into what happened. Yeah, so I mean, very quickly, you know, the U.S. was asked about what they were going to do in, you know, this, this as you pointed out, she's an American citizen. So, um, you know, the in June, you know, first they kind of said, well, we want all the facts, we deplore this, this is awful, kind of the things that they normally say. Um, and in June, Secretary of State Blinken said that he wanted a thorough and independent, and that's the key word here, independent um, investigation into her killing so that they can know the facts. Um, and that the independence is really kind of the key here um, because by July, the U.S., there, there's a um, U.S. official or office in, um, in Israel and Palestine called the U.S. Security Coordinator. And it's essentially kind of, it's run between the State Department and the DOD, but they were responsible for kind of essentially looking into the killing initially. And they said, but instead of actually doing an investigation, what they did was in July, they said that they had looked at the initial Israeli report by that point, the Palestinian report, and they, between those two things, they said that, you know, she may have been killed by, an, they kind of start, they were already starting to kind of go along with the Israeli conclusion by that point, not the Palestinian conclusion, the Israeli conclusion, you know, this line, she was killed by an Israeli, Israeli military, but it was crossfire. They were really, like leaning on crossfire to say it was an accident. Um, and in the aftermath of that, they kind of really stuck to that. Um, and it's, you know, the, one of the things that's a, you know, if you want to look at it in terms of one of the things that they've also said is that, well, they want to make sure that this, they want to make sure this never happens again. Okay. So then the question becomes, how do you make sure that this doesn't happen again? There has to be accountability. Right. Um, but the problem is, is that these, obviously you need to have real investigations for there to, you know, in order to real investigations with real consequences. Right. Otherwise what you end up with is impunity. Um, and that's what's happening here because the, you know, because the U.S. is going along with the line, um, with the Israeli line, it's just, it kind of opens the door to this just continuing on because if, if there's going to, if there are no consequences in the killing of a U.S. citizen, a renowned journalist, then what does that mean for just for Palestinian civilians? So let's talk about the bullet because the Palestinians have the bullet that was extracted from Shireen's body. The Israelis say they cannot have a conclusive investigation unless they are provided with the bullet. Um, for obvious reasons, the Palestinian Authority is very reticent to give the bullet to the Israelis. 
uh, and then the Americans step in. Can you can you speak about what happened? Yeah, I mean, the, the Americans say, the U.S. Security Coordinary did, did say that they did a forensic analysis of the bullet, but that it was well, inconclusive. They, they, the U.S. promised an independent investigation mm-hmm. if they were provided with the bullet, and the bullet was provided to the U.S., and then what happened? I mean, the U.S. was provided with the bullet. They did analyze it, um, and they said that it was inconclusive. But there has been, there's been, you know, there's been no independent investigation. However, in November, the news did break that the FBI was going to investigate. Now, that there, there's the, there's not a lot of facts surrounding that, though I will point out. Um, and it obviously came basically six months after, more than six months after she was killed. You know, and by that point, the U.S. had made clear what their stance was on this killing and the idea of investigation, which was there wasn't going to be a U.S. an independent investigation run by the U.S. That was off the table. And so, I mean, you know, obviously when it comes to the DOJ and the FBI, their investigations are supposed to be independent of the administration. So it's, and again, it's, there's no clarity or there's really no, uh, there's not tem- like a lot of facts about what is going to happen when this investigation, is ca- if it has already happened, for instance. What, what we do know, though, is that Israel isn't going to cooperate. They've made that all, you know, the Israeli government made that clear. And this was the previous government, which is, you know, not as right wing as the current one. So I think it's pretty safe to say that the current one is obviously not going to be co- cooperating either. Talk about her funeral. Her funeral. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I will say, obviously, I wasn't there. Um, so I was watching it as a spectator from the States. And I think, you know, so basically she, on the 13th, there had been a, you know, a state funeral first in Ramallah on the 12th, the day before. And then on the 13th, you know, they brought her body to Jerusalem to be laid to rest um, in a Christian cemetery in the old city. And, you know, thousands of Palestinians had come out to, to mourn, to mourn her. And, um, you know, there, this was footage that was being live, you know, broadcast live on the whole procession on Al Jazeera English and, and Al Jazeera. And um, as soon as they brought the coffin out of the morgue um, and they started to leave the gates of the hospital um, to begin that the, the rest of the procession um, she the, they were attacked by Israeli security forces in Jerusalem um, and you know it, it's just it's really st- I don't know I don't think stunning is the right word but it's shocking it's shocking yeah. just shocking footage just of the way that the security forces attacked, you know, these mourners who were just carrying the coffin. Um, And, you know, what her family, you know, her brother told us when we spoke to him was that, you know, they were just trying, it felt like they were just trying to make the mourners drop the coffin. Well, the the coffin almost falls to the ground. Yeah. And, you know, the mourners made sure that to keep it up um, while they were being beaten. Um, and it's, you know, in the footage, you can see them kind of ripping away the Palestinian flag. Um, and just, you know, kind of, it's, you know, if people have not watched that footage, I would encourage them to watch it. What do you think the message that uh, Israel in, intended to imp, imp, impart uh, with the killing and with the response to the killing? What, what were they saying in particular to the Palestinians? I mean, I think... It's interesting when you think about um, when journalists are killed in 
in a situation when it's not, you know, a uh, kind of, you know, traditional or typical war, right? Like we're not talking about Ukraine, right? And this may seem a little bit crazy, but when you think about it, you know, earlier in the year, I was covering the killings of journalists in Mexico. And when you, I think there's a commonality when you look at why journalists are targeted in these kind of non-traditional conflicts, right? And it's people don't want certain things to be known, right? They don't want journalists there to document the truth. And I think that that is the case here. You know, we asked that question to the journalists that were there on the day of the killing, uh, of the shooting, um, and who had been shot at as well. And, you know, they said the same thing, that they don't, doesn't, they think that, you know, the Israeli government doesn't want the, what is happening in the occupied territories to come out because the situation is getting worse. You know, more Palestinians were killed in the occupied West Bank last year than any year since, I think, 2004, 2005. Um, yeah. What was the, when you carried out this investigation, what surprised you the most? I think it might be just the, even though the U.S., I think they have a tendency to do that. It's not like this is new, but I mean, just the way that they kind of, kind of just are ignoring very clear facts of what happened, right? Um, just this idea that they, they, will, they have continued to say that she was caught in crossfire is a blatant lie. Right. And it's, you know, there's footage that shows that that that's not true. Um, and I think it's just that kind of it's, it, that audacity to kind of continue to lie when we're talking about the killing of a, of a U.S. citizen. It's I think I think that might have been kind of the, something that stuck with me. Netanyahu's new government is even more extreme than the old government. Um, Neo-fascist, probably isn't too far from, you know, certainly what many elements of that government uh, is comprised of. It's a coalition government with the most extreme uh, figures in the Israeli political establishment, many heirs of the terrorist uh, Rabbi Mir Kahani. Uh, uh, where do you see this going? What's, what's going to happen now? It's a good question. I mean, I mean to be blunt, nowhere good. I mean, if we're talking about what it means for Palestinians in particular, but even just, I think, you know, we've seen, there's been actually a lot of protests by Israeli citizens themselves against this new government already. Yeah, but mostly um, mostly around the judicial reform, if yeah, I have that correct, um, not about the, Pal yeah, not about not the about, occupation. No. Um, and so, but if we're talking about specifically for Palestinians, they, you know, nothing good. I mean, it's, they, I think the new government's even made that, they made that very, very clear um, from day one. Um, that this is going to be the most extreme government, you know, Israeli government in, you know, recent memory, and that they regard Palestinian land as Israeli land. And, you know, I think even just like looking at, you know, some of the way that settlers have been acting in the past couple of weeks in particular, you can see that kind of emboldenment. Um, and so, you know, it's even more important that journalists are able to do their job in occupied territories. So where are we going? I think Al Jazeera wants to bring this before the International Criminal Court, if I have that correct. I mean, they they, they don't want to let it drop. Yeah, I mean, I should say, I feel like I, I don't want to, like, speak for as, like, a kind of representative for Al Jazeera in that way, just because it's, like, a legal case, and I feel like I'm not, I don't think I'm really qualified but they, to they, do that they, they are <laughs> they are they are seeking redress in international forums. You, maybe you can at least explain that. 
Yeah, they have brought, um, they did bring a um, petition to the ICC um, at the beginning of December. Um, and so, and it is, I, you know, there has been like kind of a wider um, petition um, from human rights groups and lawyer Palestinian you know, in regards to the Israeli occupation and for the ICC to investigate. Um, and this is, I think, I would just say this is just one part of that. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's with, I mean, when it comes to kind of, you know, accountability, I think it's been, I think you, if you look at, I think getting accountability in any situation where it's a Palestinian killed by the Israeli military is it very rarely is there justice. Um, I hope that's not the case here, but I think if you look at the past, it kind of tells you that it is very difficult to achieve. Great. That was Kavitha Shakuru, the producer of The Killing of Shireen Abu Akla on Al Jazeera, which can be found on YouTube. I want to thank the Real News Network and its production team, Cameron Granadino, Adam Coley, David Hebden, Darian Jones, and Kayla Rivera. You can find me at chrisedges.substack.com.